politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for our life, liberty, property, and culture to the one and only CR Podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, here in beautiful Northeast New Mexico at our gun training with Patriot Academy. We are back here. I promised you I wouldn't abandon you this week. I will be out tomorrow is my flyout date, and then Friday we're back here regular time. But what a fortuitous time. What a tragic time at the same moment. Uh, we were out here training ordinary citizens on how to draw from a holster, how to win a gun battle. So today, you know, I thought I'd have a lot of good news to share with you in terms of the election, and I don't. Instead, we have bad and tragic news on another massacre in a school. But I am going to start off with the elections. And believe it or not, the elections have a lot to do with the at least the political takeaway from the gun issue, from the shooting. Um, there's a lot more to say on it that's not political, because it really shouldn't be, because there's nothing about it that is political, but of course, everything's political. And then we're going to tie that into, again, the main issue of our time, biomedical fascism, uh, pharma genocide, the clot shots and the news on that, and how really we've had this problem with other vaccines as well. And to demonstrate the gap in moral clarity between the gun issue and every other main issue of our time, particularly pharma fascism, as it relates to the conservative movement, Republican Party officials, Fox News hosts. It truly is amazing that I'm watching this all play out here while we are having our gun training, which just underscores its importance. As always, I am here to give you a 2020 vision you're not going to get elsewhere but you have to literally be able to see 2020. That's why I recommend better spectacles. Not only are they the only conservative uh, eyeglass company with our values, but they also really have the highest quality uh, eyewear. They import Rodenstock eyewear from Germany. It's really the world's gold standard. It helps you see so much better. They use biometric intelligence glasses, which give you a seamlessly natural experience, works perfectly with your brain, gives you the sharpest vision. Um, I've always hated my glasses. I always wish I would have had, uh, what's that called? The, you know, the laser surgery, LASIK surgery. Um, but these glasses I have from Better Spectacles really are the sharpest. I want you guys to have what I have. So go to betterspectacles.com slash conservative to schedule a teleoptical appointment. If you don't want to go to someone in, per in person, you could do that as well. And then go big with biometrical intelligence glasses from Better Spectacles. They're offering an introductory 61% off their progressive eyewear. It's a conservative company with progressive eyewear, uh, plus free handcrafted Ronestock frames at betterspectacles.com slash conservative. So last night, and, and I'm, I'm recording early in the morning, Eastern time, it's late at night, mountain time here, so this is another pre-record, it is early, so both the primary results and the whole Uvalde shooting is still very fluid, 
But the things I'm going to present to you today as always are evergreen. And, you know, you could take it to the bank. So let's start with the primaries. As expected in Georgia, they made a huge deal about one rhino against another rhino in the gubernatorial race, Kemp versus Purdue. And Kemp crushed it, as we knew. It wasn't much of a thing. Um, again, this is not a reflection on conservatives because Purdue, if anything, is to the left of or was to the left. I mean, they all ran as conservatives, but to the left of um, what's his name? Jeez, uh, I don't even know these guys' names anymore. But Brian Kemp, I, I probably if you put a gun to my head and I lived there, I probably would have even voted for Kemp just because I think. He's stronger on a few other issues, but it is what it is. We had no dog in that fight. But I want to share with you my overall big picture of Georgia, Alabama, Arkansas, everything we saw. And again, from my vantage point, it's still a little bit fluid. And it's the same thing I told you a week ago. And that is this. Voters are turning out in droves to vote in primaries, but they are turning out to essentially vote against Joe Biden, to vote against the Democrats, to air out their frustrations about what is going on in the country. Because they do share our values, and they share our pain and our frustration, but they've been taught nothing more than voting Republican in a general election. So this is their way of doing it, getting a head start. So a lot of people that typically only voted in a general Republican, they're now voting in a primary. But nonetheless, they're voting with a general election mindset. They don't give a rip about which Republican. They don't get it because they watch Fox News. Not that they're rhinos. Not that they like liberal Republicans. All the Republicans are running broadly on what we're saying. It's the obfuscation of what they're not saying that's more telling. And then they go out and reflexively vote for the incumbent. Okay? Straight away. And then even in, a, in most of the open races, it's the ones with the biggest name ID and the money, and it's usually not our people. But then when you go down to the state legislative level, where it doesn't cost nearly as much money to win we are seeing change both in open seats. And yes, there are incumbent rhinos that, to my knowledge, I don't have it all worked out as of uh, this recording, but in Alabama and Arkansas, rhinos did go down in the primaries. But on the other hand, it appears that, and much to my surprise, the poll polling was slightly wrong, that both in the Alabama gubernatorial race and in the Arkansas Senate race, the incumbent rhinos are going to get 50% and win renomination without the uh, going to a runoff. So Kay Ivey is going to win in Alabama, and uh, Bozeman for Senate in Arkansas. Obviously, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, we never had a prayer there. She always had that locked up. And that's the story. Not a single... House incumbent was knocked off. Not one. Not one incumbent was knocked off. Okay, that's just the way it is. So, so far, 
despite all the catharsis, everything we've gone through as a nation, every betrayal of Republicans that have induced the backwards COVID response, the biomedical fascism, the clot shots, the trillion-dollar bills that, and the inflation that resulted from that, the Ukraine stuff, none of them have gotten punished. Every single one has won. Unlike on the Democrat side, unlike on the Democrat side, Democrat incumbents have gone down at a federal level. Okay? Now, last night, interestingly enough, there was a special, not a special primary, there was a runoff in Texas 28, a Democrat primary. Henry Cuellar, he's the only remaining pro-life Democrat, and he's somewhat moderate on the border. There was a radical leftist who ran against him. People thought Quayer was going to go down. It looks like Quayer is going to pull it out. But I must say, even then, it's neck and neck. It was like, you know, 51-49%. So it's not like our guys that are getting blown out like 60-30 when we challenge their incumbents. And also, I would note that there the Democrat voters actually agree with the more moderates. This is the Rio Grande Valley. And these people are voting Republican in droves, so there's a lot of people that are still registered Democrats, so they voted for Henry Henry Cuellar. But nonetheless, the left is still almost won. And in Oregon, they they knocked off a long-time sitting incumbent Republican. We have failed to do that in a single state. Not only that, you go back to Georgia, every incumbent won, not just the governor, but you know, people thought that for Secretary of State, you had Raffensperger, who was the Secretary of State that signed off on the elections there. He took a see-no-evil, hear-no-evil approach. He said there's nothing wrong with their elections. Uh, the more conservative, Jody Heiss, he's a congressman, one of the leadership members of the Freedom Caucus, and he ran against him. The polls showed a neck-and-neck, neck, but it looks like he blew him out and just about avoided a runoff, so Raffensperger won straight out. So again, people have their hot takes, and their takeaway from this is, oh my gosh, the establishment won. They're winning all the big races. Everyone wants them. People are sick of saying the election was stolen. People don't want these radicals, the Republican voters. This is what they want. That is not true. It's sophomoric because they're not understanding what's going on. And I'm actually going to give you exactly the key to what's going on. It's not necessarily good news. It's a tough pill to swallow. But we have to understand it's a lot more technical than we think it is. It's not explained away ideologically. Everyone thinks everything puts into, everything is put into a neat box. Oh, it's right, and this one's more left, this one's more right and the voters want more of this, that's not what it is. It's super technical, and I think it all ties in to paint the same picture we're seeing pretty much in every weekly primary. And unfortunately, for better or for worse, sometimes it is for better, it's going to continue. Um, but first, our other sponsor today, as you well know, my email is Horowitz at startmail.com. Yes, last year... I started paying for email. You thought it was free. It's not free. Free services like Gmail and Yahoo aren't free because you pay for it with them spying on your records, your business plans, your social security number, your medical records, and your political plans. That's the reality. 
That's why I turned away from spy mail. I went to start mail. It keeps my email private, period. Every email is encrypted, even if the recipient, by the way, is not using encryption. So it's important. Um, Big Brother can't snoop. Government can't get into what I'm doing. It's deleted forever when you delete something. It's also... Uh, it's not based in America, so I actually trust them more. Unfortunately, I, in the past, I wouldn't have said that. And they have their own servers, so they don't have the whole parlor Amazon problem. They're backed by the world's sh- most stringent privacy laws. And Startmail generates a number of shareable alias emails. So if you want to, you know, p- fight back against something, but you don't want to use your email, you want to send something to a, a politician, this is the way to do it. Um, I've really found it very, very easy to use, very easy to set up, and it's one of the smartest moves I've made. I don't trust big tech, neither should you. So go to startmail.com slash conservative to get 50% off your first year. That's startmail with a T at the end, S-T-A-R-T, mail.com slash conservative. So here's what's going on, folks. And let me explain this to you. There was another primary against an incumbent in Georgia, Georgia 14, except this one, it was the opposite. It was against Marjorie Taylor Greene. And Fox News and everyone, they made a big deal about it. Oh, the challenger they promoted, they attacked her. She's a neo-Nazi. She's a this. I mean, unlike our primaries where they just keep them on ice and no one's ever heard of them, so by default they vote for the incumbent, you cannot suggest that Marjorie Taylor Greene skated by like their incumbents with you know just nobody ever hearing of of the challenge. Believe me, everyone knew she was being challenged. Not just in the district. This is national national news. She won like seventy to fourteen. She blew it out. So riddle me this: How is it that in the same district that? Marjorie Taylor Greene blew it out, and she obviously is most notorious for saying the election was stolen. Not only did Kemp win, but Raffensperger won her district. My understanding is he won her district. And the answer is very simple. Raffensperger is an incumbent, Kemp is an incumbent, and Marjorie Taylor Greene is an incumbent. Very different type of incumbent but incumbent nonetheless. The point is, broadly speaking, they all run on our issues. Broadly speaking, most Republican voters reflexively vote for the incumbent for better or for worse. In the case of um, MTG, it was for better, in most other cases for the worse. And that's the deal. That's what's happening. And you go to Alabama, Kay Ivey looked like she was in trouble, might have been, but they carpet bombed the airwaves. She ran like the most conservative ads you can imagine. She is literally senile, more so than Biden, couldn't even go on the campaign trail, never debated her opponents, but was able to run by proxy with all the industries. The RGA came in, dumped millions in, and it looks like she she pulled it off. It, it, it appears as of you know, this late in the night. And same thing in Arkansas with the Senate race there. And it's going to continue happening, which is why I will tell you until I'm blue in the face, anyone who tells you, oh, you could go ahead 
It's not the time in the general election. You have to beat them in the primary. You cannot beat them in the primary. And again, there's record turnout. Do you know there was double the, – the Georgia GOP turnout doubled the 2018 turnout. That's the last midterm election. It's like almost on par with a presidential election. People are upset. They want to vote. They want the Democrats out. There's no doubt Brian Kemp's going to beat um, Stacey Abrams in, in the general. Voters, that's all they care about. I want to beat Stacey Abrams. I want to beat Biden. I want to take back Congress. They don't think beyond that. It's a bitter pill to swallow, but I have 15 years of experience more than anyone involved orchestrating, recruiting, and or just following very closely every primary season, and I will tell you that is the reality. You will never change it. On the other hand, we are seeing, like we saw in Idaho, I, as of this recording, I don't think it's quite as dramatic, but I, from what I'm seeing, uh, and I don't have all the information, I haven't looked in Georgia so much, but Alabama and uh, Arkansas on net, it was a very good night for conservatives in the state legislature. Okay? They knocked out incumbents. They fended off some of the Chamber of Commerce challenges and won open seats. You know, there's a, there was more of a concerted effort. Um, I know, especially in Alabama, uh, there, there were a bunch of conservative legislators got together to try to work at this. Um, um, I, I know one of them very well. And it worked out because those are low-ticket items you don't need as much money, and you're able to do it. So if voters know if they have the information, they will vote for our people. If not, they won't. That is the lesson. That is the lesson. Now, how does this all tie back into guns and the tragedy of what happened in Uvalde? If you notice what's happening, if you think about it, on the surface the left has more tailwinds at their back on the gun issue than any issue. On the surface, you have all these unprecedented shootings, and they are unprecedented. It is clearly more than it's ever been, and I want to get to that in a moment. You can't chalk it up to just, oh, the media, we have mass media now, so we know about it more. No, I mean, you can't miss this stuff, especially the school stuff. You know, the, the, the Columbines were like once in a decade, and now it's multiple times a year. And they have the worst, I mean, the, the best victims to use as political human shields, and yet they have failed to make progress. And in fact, at a state level, the gun laws continue to get looser. And that is because that is the only issue, a little bit abortion too, where somehow we've succeeded in making that an ironclad thing that we will not tolerate any Republican that doesn't agree with our values and our understanding of that issue – and it worked. I told you guys I've been watching Fox News throughout my week here, you know, when I'm in the hotel room because I never watch it otherwise. And it's insufferable. You can't listen to them. They're off message. They'll never, ever talk about the clot shots and the COVID genocide and any of that. And, and when they talk about other issues, they're off message. I'll tell you the response to you, Valdi, I don't really disagree with anything. And you know how my, my show is to other conservative shows like Mars is to Earth – when it comes to this, we're all, we'll all pretty much say the same things. That you need single entry, you know, entrance in schools. Everyone needs to be trained. Every single one of these attacks, including this one, was in a gun-free zone where they were prohibited from carrying. It's the mental illness. It's the culture. It's the young males. 
We're failing them. It's all of that. It's all of that. And certainly, obviously, nothing on guns is going to help. We all know that. We're not, you know, every minute we focus on that, we're not, we're not dealing with the root of, of what really is causing this. What I'm going to tell you, Mitch McConnell will say, Kevin McCarthy will say, Sean Hannity will say, it's an amazing observation if you think about it. We're all united on that one issue. But nothing else. If a Republican would say, I'm for taking away guns, I don't care how many years that guy's an incumbent, even if it's a big statewide office, that guy would be gone. But yet that guy could promote the clot shot genocide, be open borders, jailbreak, all this stuff, and, 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 and nothing, nothing happens. That is our challenge, how to make other issues like that. Now, I want to come back to that just first to dive into Uvalde a little bit. You know, one thing I do want to say is I don't want to be like the inverse of the left where they're sure gun control is the solution and, and, and guns are the cause. And we're sure, no, it's the exact opposite, that you just have, you know, security there and everyone's trained. And I certainly do believe that. We need to do that. But I think clearly that might be the only solution we have, at least readily available, and it is a good one because I think it's obvious that if you had one-point entry – I mean, I still don't know the details yet as of this recording. Maybe by the time you hear it, we will. But how the hell he killed 20, 21 people, um, that should never happen. I can't say if we had our model of designated teacher staff carrying um, one-point entry, not a single person would be killed. You sure as heck wouldn't have 20. Okay. And that's why in Israel, you never, ever have that. There's always someone around carrying. You'll find when these Arabs, we, we, there were a couple of them recently, actually. Often they're, they're, they run them over in cars. They have stabbings. But recently they actually had um, like Hamas shooting terror attacks. And it's, it's a few. It's a few people. It's not, you're not going to find 20. So I think that is an ironclad point. But it doesn't explain why this is happening so much. A lot of it is mass media, just the copycat mentality. This is, you know, all the mentally ill or, or psychopaths, they, they, they lock in on this. But a lot of this, it's not right or left. It's something we have to solve. But it underscores why we need a national divorce. Not just because they want to grab our guns and whatever. It's because we truly can't come together and look at these things. You know, one of the points that's been made, and I agree with it, is that another angle to this is, if this is such a pervasive problem, by now, why haven't we done detailed um, criminology, psychoanalysis of these type of people to try to understand what they are? Well, the reason is very simple, because they're so bought into the gun control agenda, they won't move off of it. So they refuse to look at what would actually be helpful. And that's why we need a national divorce. We also need it because... We have a values problem in this country. And again, I don't want to just say it's only someone of left-wing ilk who has left-wing parents who could be become a psychopath. I don't mean that because we well see kids are hard to raise and you could have that anywhere. But I, I think it, it, it's very clear. The best thing that has been said on this was by my colleague, Ali Beth Stuckey, one of our uh, podcast hosts here. She says, the one commonality in the vast majority of mass shootings, it's not race or ideology, right? Because, I mean, this guy was um, Hispanic, others are white, whatever. They're all young males. 
We are doing absolutely everything wrong when it comes to promoting healthy masculinity, purpose, and goodness for these boys and men. If we really cared, we would be doing everything we can to promote fatherhood, hard work, and honor. We'd be getting these boys off the internet and into hobbies and jobs and communities where they can channel their strength. We'd be desperately pushing them toward meaning. Our denial of innate gender differences coupled with the demonizing of masculine strength don't help. There is nothing more dangerous than a man with nothing to do and no one to live for. There's also nothing more beneficial to a community than a man with purpose and love. It's much easier to offer meaningless political talking points than it is to reckon with societal spiritual rot that's eroded our foundations and connections. And... um, I, I think it's a very astute point because a lot of people are focusing on mental illness. They're focusing on the general video games and the just the culture of violence, the cultural rot, the psychosis that everything is so messed up. And it's all true. But that's a very specific diagnosis, and I think it's worthy of noting. You know, you're always going to have anything with violence. You're going to have more with men than women. Any crime, any violent crime, I mean, that's been an enduring trend forever but this has become so common you would have at least something with females you know 10 percent, 20 percent it's a hundred percent males different ilk different reasoning dif- different forms of of psychopaths they're all male and i think young male and that is a very important point but again that's we're diagnosing it in terms of what do we do in the in the near term. There is only one thing you can do. It's straight up um, in that school in Uvalde, unless entitled to a defense or otherwise accepted by penal code, a person commits an offense if the person intentionally, knowingly, or recklessly possesses or goes with a firearm, a location restricted knife, club, or prohibited weapon on the physical premises of a school or educational facility. Um, that is the penal code of Uvalde there, okay? So that was a gun-free zone. It is still a true statement that, um, according to Crime Research Center, that's uh, John Lott's group, about 30% of school districts in Texas 2020 had armed teachers and staff, but that's 30%. 70% don't. Rob Elementary School in Uvalde was not among them, okay? And they claim, and I think they're right, that to this day, there has never been a school shooting outside of a gun-free zone. Very, very interesting. So again, but I, what, what I'm saying is, I think it's ironclad, we need it. This is why I take people out. Um, you, you know, everyone's into guns. Few people know how to shoot. You know, everyone here thinks I'm the big marksman. You know, because thanks to Patriot Academy, I got VIP training, you know, when they took me out the first time, and then uh, this is my sixth time taking the course. But nonetheless, every time the instructors come by and they find something I'm doing that I can improve on. And, and training is so important. You know, George Washington once said we should have an armed citizenry, but a disciplined one, because he understood the original Continental Army, uh, the problems they had. Uh, you know, it's your right to, to, to carry, to own... But we really do need to learn how to prepare for this exact situation. I'm always thinking about it during this course. Um, you know, the trigger control, the five-point draw, uh, smooth under fire, not to jerk the trigger, get a smooth press. It's very technical. 
you need trained people. And it would make 90, 95% of the difference in, in fatalities. And, and, and frankly, I mean, if you look at the data, I believe it's 100% have been in gun-free zones. So, you know, the whole the world in general, you have stores and this is that that's harder, but schools are very finite. They're very precious. The children, you could have one point entry, especially while they're in session, and you have people trained. There's no reason whatsoever you should ever have a scenario where 20 people are killed. It it it, it doesn't make any sense. The guy had to get out of his car with the thing slung over his shoulder. Here's he had a rifle and a gun. Um, so there's a lot to delve into. But that's the main point. But the other main point is what I'm telling you is not unique. You're going to hear this everywhere. And that's great. That's awesome. Why aren't we like this on other issues? You know, one, one other point I want to make is one issue I do see us getting closer to that point is the anti-grooming. Notice State Farm, like a good neighbor, or shall I say, like you know those commercials for State Farm, like a good groomer, State Farm is there. They put out this handbook that was going to promote transgenderism to children. There was an immediate backlash. And you know what? They backed off and they apologized and they said they ain't getting into that business. And... A lot of this, as much as we say the corporations are woke, they're also, a lot of them are just very logical. There's only one movement on the field. You can never be gay enough. You can never be too pro-Islamic, too pro-illegal, too pro-criminal. One side would beat them up. So logically, they're going to go to where the market is. If I always said if we applied equal and opposing force, they would just say, look, we're staying out of it. And I think there are signs of that happening. DeSantis led the way with Disney. My point is there's no reason we can't draw lines in the sand on many other issues because I'll tell you, the gun issue on paper is even harder. As illogical as it is when you think about it, on the surface, it's very logical. We have all these guns in America more than anywhere else. We have all these shootings. That's what Joe Biden said. And a lot of stupid people, it's easy to believe that. On any other issue, Republicans would run before the camera, oh my God, we got to do something about guns. And I know... Every once in a while, you have a handful of Republicans that'll buy into some things, but not really. For the most part, they hold the line on that issue. With crime, you have a black shooting like, oh my gosh, too many blacks are in prison. We need to do something about chokeholds and the police. To this day, they're doing that, the Republicans. Oh my gosh, something happens. We got to lock everyone down. We need the clot shots, whatever it is. Oh my gosh, Ukraine. They buy into everything. With guns, they're impervious. I want you guys, this is your homework. How are we able to make that a no-fly zone? And why not on other issues? And what could we do to make more issues like that? Now, the biggest issue that we need it for is obviously the clot shot. So I want to get to that in the second half of the show here. So I wanted to get back to a little bit of a COVID briefing today with the remaining time here. Obviously, the the negative efficacy, the problems, the adverse events. But broadly speaking, as we talk about primaries and elections and the future of the so-called Republican Party, with everything we know, we should have Republicans all over the place. 
doing their own research, putting out reports. The Republicans that control the states, the governors, should be suspending the shots. This thing would have been suspended a year ago, at least, had we had Republicans like that. But now it's not even hard. Why is it that it's these random bloggers and you know private researchers, some of them are very smart, and scientists and, and doctors, are doing this on their own, and the Republican Party is nowhere to be seen? And in fact, it's worse than that. If you look very carefully, you're going to find that Republicans are still promoting it. It's not just that you know they don't talk about it. It's that they're still promoting it. This is an article from the Tennessee Conservative, um, a good local media, local conservative media website. Once again, under Governor Bill Lee's leadership, the Tennessee Department of Health appears tone deaf in their messaging to the state's parents. In a Facebook post last week, the department offered up the following statement. CDC recommends all children ages 5 to 11 receive a booster vaccine five months after completing their primary series. Immunocompromised children 5 to 11 should do it three months after. And this is what they're promoting. I mean, this is the Tennessee... Department of Health promoting a third shot on young children. Again, don't tell me, oh, I'm pro-life. You know, Tennessee banned the mailing of abortifacients. They, they just signed a bill. Billy signed a bill doing that. Dude, how am I supposed to care about that when you are, are I guess, not mandating in this case, but you really are taking away informed consent and promoting a death shot? The degree of myocarditis alone is insane. Dozens upon dozens of studies of long-term, serious heart inflammation. And Malone and McCullough say it's downright, it could be a majority of them have some form of, of, of a subclinical myocarditis. This is the question we need to be asking. Where are the candidates who are running on this? Where are the incumbent Republicans talking about this? I don't want to hear about Roe v. Wade if you're mandating abortion or distributing and encouraging a death shot. Literally a death shot. And it's funny. When I had Fox News on in the hotel room for the first time in a long time listening to them, it's a complete blackout. Uh, Emerald Robinson, she was fired by the Fox's mini-me, Newsmax, for not getting the shot. And she talked about how Fox News took money from the Biden administration uh, to push the COVID vaccine propaganda. That was actually our Blaze Network FOIA. Uh, we broke that story. And they had their own mandate. Fox host John Roberts, if you remember, he put out recently... Uh, did anyone else experience chest pain after getting a booster? That's what he put out. And so she, she writes an article here that over 4,000 people who follow him on Twitter commented, commented on the post. And it's just endless, endless, endless stories. It goes on and on. Terrible, terrible stories. My neighbor died a few days ago after his first shot. One of my professors died. 
After the second COVID shot, I couldn't walk 20 feet without feeling like I couldn't breathe. On and on and on. And again, if it's doing this short term, and we know there's so many other things it does, even if it kind of clears up after a couple weeks, what state is your heart in for the rest of your life? This literally breaks the heart of a generation of the human race. You know, when you have, we have existential crises, inflation that we've never seen before, a border crisis that we've never seen before, crime that we've never seen before, a culture war we've never seen before. And yet, I'll tell you, all of that pales in comparison to this fact that they are now promoting spending billions of dollars, billions of dollars promoting a company that already earned $100 billion on a death shot. And they have 15 more mRNAs. And the more we learn, really, there's been problems for a very, very long time. It's been going on. And by the way, there's another study. Aaron sent me this. A Brazilian study published in Hematologica from last November, and they found a case of thrombosis in placental vessels in a woman. Straight up clotting in the placental vessels. There are your reproductive issues. And that's not the only one, but that's one documented. This is mandatory Planned Parenthood. We have Republicans saying, look, Daniel, you can't tell me we didn't win on a single issue. We've slid backwards on every issue for 40 years because after 40 years or almost 50 years, we reversed Roe v. Wade. Who freaking cares if those same politicians are promoting a shot that is mandated on much of the public and the rest of the children, the parents aren't getting informed consent and they're getting a death shot? This is a much bigger issue. One step forward, 10 steps backwards on the life issue. So I don't want to hear about that. And then we got here, uh, you know, the shots aren't the only product. This is from the website regenerativemc.com. Paxlovid rebound COVID phenomena. So even the CDC put out a, an, an alert that basically Paxlovid, you take it and it comes back to bite you a little bit later. Sometimes a week, a week and a half later, the virus comes back. So basically they found, there's a pre-printed study now, was published, described this rebound phenomenon in a patient who had been treated with Paxlovid, fully vaccinated, boosted 71 years old, had a high exposure to COVID symptoms. Day zero, he began a course of Paxlovid. His symptoms mostly resolved by day two. Now, I've said before, I don't disagree that Paxlovid probably has some degree of efficacy if you get it at freaking day zero like that. It's a protease inhibitor, but so is ivermectin. And uh, But the deal is, the, the short-term and long-term side effects are unknown, and what we do know are nasty. But now we've learned another issue. 
while continuing to isolate, the patient's symptoms returned on day nine and peaked on day 10. Viral antigen testing was conducted and compared from day one to day nine, showing two distinct peaks. In fact, it looks like the latter peak um, blew out the original peak. Now, remember, right, this whole thing is bull because Paxlovid never, by the time it was introduced, Delta was really gone. Delta is really where we needed it, and there's no evidence it would have saved people, right? So it's hard to tell with, with these versions of the virus. It's more like a traditional virus. It's hard to know, did you get better from it or not? Because it's not like your blood oxygen is dropping and you got microclotting and you're going to die. So it's hard to tell. So to the extent it might have a little bit of efficacy, which we, it's hard to tell, it bites you later. So what's the point of it? Yet this is something that has been, they, they, they spent billions of dollars with taxpayer funding. And again, no desire to, to research this, to form an investigation. Oh, Republicans don't have control. They control the red states. They don't have to distribute this. They could have their own task force. And again, the, the minorities on the committee, they put out reports all the time. They study things. Why won't they study anything on vaccine efficacy, safety, and Paxlovid? We know the reason. Now, they write here, the post-Paxlovid rebound phenomenon is not so surprising as it was observed in the Pfizer clinical trial. Like everything else, Pfizer knew about it. If you look, and this is not a secret document, if you look on the 23rd page of the FDA document... Okay, so this is not a FOIA document or a court document. It states the following. Several subjects appear to have a rebound in SARS-CoV-2 RNA levels around day 10 or day 14. Day 10 or day 14. Just like that case study. And again, this is not some random case study. You look on social media and it's ubiquitous. Even like a big liberal epidemiologist and media figures online have been reporting they used it and they had a rebound. And yet, it will not be pulled. It won't be, not only won't it be pulled, they're going to dump more money in. Again, every Republican believes in funding more Paxlovid, more shots. Their only issue is they wanted to attach a, a Title 42 provision on the, on the border. They didn't want it mixed with Ukraine because, God forbid, should we sully Ukraine with another issue because that's so important. This is the Republican Party we have. So if you're going to have a politician that says, I'm against abortion, but I'm going to have my Department of Health promote a death shot, I'm sorry, I can't get very excited about that. And by the way, you know um, Pfizer's out there saying 80% efficacy for, 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 for babies, under like children under five. I'm sure you saw that. If you read their press release, it's right there. Vaccine efficacy, a secondary endpoint in the trial, right? Because the primary endpoint was random juiced up antibodies. It wasn't a clinical outcome. But they had a secondary clinical outcome they didn't study really. It, was, it, was sec- it, was, it wasn't primary. It was 80%. you know what it was? This descriptive analysis was based on 10 symptomatic COVID-19 cases. 10! A sample size of 10. The same vermin that said that, you know, when we had a sample size of 80, 100, 150, but then, you know, dozens of studies with ivermectin. No, no, they're, they're low-powered, not enough sample size. 
With this, we are going to approve something that is already known to cause every ailment known to man and particularly uh, cardio and neurological issues for a population that already had the virus, for a version of the virus that's not a problem, never was a problem for those kids, for a strain of the virus that no longer exists based on a sample size of 10. And I'm sure that's fraudulent too, like we talked about yesterday. We now know that uh, they had tons of safety issues. They they not only denied, but actually marked as COVID rather than uh, vaccine adverse events. And then, as we well learned, um, with the we talked about the N antibodies that a whole bunch of of uh, Pfizer dudes, Fi- the trial group, the Pfizer group, those patients or subjects or uh, you know uh, trial participants, they actually had antibodies afterwards. They developed them. Um, And no, they were not from the shot. So there you go. There you go over there. What are you going to do? What are we going to do here? And then there's the monkeypox. And there's a lot of new information that's been put out And I'll get to a little bit more when I get back from the trip. But as we learn more about the smallpox vaccine, it turns out it was very problematic. If you study the history of vaccines, there are some that were probably safe but didn't do much. And if they did, it was for a virus we didn't need to get rid of like chickenpox. And then you had vaccines that might have worked. Like smallpox did work. The vaccine did work. Although the evidence does show it was on the wane before it, kind of like polio. But the smallpox vaccine and many, there were many iterations of it, were very, very problematic. Our buddy Gato Malo has a, has a good post out. Um, take a listen to this clip from Fauci back in 2017, discussing the smallpox vaccine. Take a listen here. Since smallpox, as effective a vaccine as it is, has some rare but nonetheless potentially very serious toxic side effects. If you're immunosuppressed, it could be deadly. Uh, If you're one of those people who have the the strange myocarditis associated with it. So even though we accepted the toxicities of the smallpox vaccine back then, it was because there was active smallpox out there. So then we decided that we would not globally vaccinate the entire country. And by the way, the country would not have accepted being vaccinated. So we knew that. (laughs) I mean, it was sort of like a fail-safe. And I said, Mr. Vice President, by the way, even when you're offering it to the first responders, many of them didn't want to take it. So this idea about kind of saying everybody should take it, it didn't make any sense. That was Fauci when he was actually a scientist just five years ago. And he noted that the vaccine is very problematic. It had a lot of inflammation, so we decided not to vaccinate the country. He said, we knew there were a lot of issues, and that was a really deadly virus. We didn't want to, you know, people were reluctant. So we decided not to vaccinate the entire country. Okay? 
This is a very, very big revelation. I did not know about that. I'll just tell you straight up, I did not know about that point. That it turns out it was very problematic. Now, take a listen to the CDC briefing on monkeypox just from Monday, um, where they discussed the available vaccines. We have, we have a good stock of vaccine. We've been preparing for the possibility of needing to use it for smallpox, and the, we have something called the Strategic National Stockpile that has invested resources and energy into making sure that we have adequate stocks of vaccine. There are two vaccines that could potentially be used to treat um, and, and, or, and prevent monkeypox in people who may have had contact with a monkeypox patient. Sorry, I should not have said treat. Um, those vaccines are available in, in different levels. Um, one of them is called Genios, and that is a two-dose vaccine. And um, right now we have um, over 1,000 doses of that available, and we expect that uh, level to ramp up very quickly in the coming weeks as the company provides more doses to us. The second vaccine is called ACAM 2000, and we have, I think it's over a million doses, isn't it? 100 million? 100 million doses of ACAM 2000. ACAM 2000 is an older generation smallpox vaccine that, um, that has some potential significant side effects with it. So a decision to use that widely would, would, would have to have some serious discussion behind it. And I think right now we are hoping to maximize vaccine uh, distribution to those that we know would benefit from it. So those are people who've had contact with a known monkeypox patient, healthcare workers, very close personal contacts, um, and those in particular who might be at high risk for severe disease. Okay. So they say there's two types of vaccines, and one is very problematic. So first of all, they had, had all these vaccines in reserve. So one of them was monkeypox, which is interesting, and there's a whole timeline around that. We know they created it. And we know that they have a generic smallpox one, which they say works against monkeypox to a certain extent, or maybe fully, or whatever. But you have a lot of inflammation. Never forget, when the FDA approved community they demanded a, a study on subclinical myocarditis, which uh, Pfizer, of course, never did. And they noted that a study on the smallpox vaccine found the rate of subclinical myocarditis was 60 times more than the clinical one. So that's where I learned, I never knew this, that myocarditis is not new to the COVID shots. We actually had it before with, with smallpox. I don't know if it was quite as bad, probably not. Maybe not, but it was pretty bad. So this is before the genocide. This is, be I mean, henceforth, every vaccine is poison. You have to assume it is until proven otherwise. But you go back, this is not so simple. I mean, you heard that straight up from Fauci. You heard this from CDC briefing. Like, the smallpox vaccine is up there with, like, penicillin, with the greatest inventions ever, with the greatest accomplishments of humanity. And you heard straight from them, this ain't so simple. I didn't know that until in, 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 until I studied this with COVID. Before before then, you would have told me. I was like, oh, wow, these, these are great cures. They were cures. We've been lied to. This is a huge issue. Every kid is injected with like 60 shots now. Every new kid born. 
We need to audit the ones there, but every year new ones are dumped. And the, the, the more we go on, they're more and more and more problematic. And Republicans are like, oh, we, we can't be viewed as anti-vax. What is this? You have a responsibility with all of your red state departments of health and all the, the, the billions of dollars that you got for nonsense to study all of this and do it quickly and audit everything on that child's schedule as well as everything coming down the pipeline. This is a pro-life issue that drowns out abortion in terms of its magnitude. I, I would venture to say none of you in the audience plan to get an abortion, and no one's really convincing you to do that, much less forcing you and mandating you and saying you're going to lose your job if you don't get an abortion. Whereas this... This is, I mean, every pediatrician is going to shove it on you, and most of them now will actually kick you out of the practice. This is a big issue. How do we get beyond that? And again, you know, when, when Fauci said that with, with, with smallpox, that's when it likely worked, and it, and it was for a virus that was very deadly, and it was one and done. You, you only need it once. This, they're saying, you need... You need multiple doses for a variant that doesn't exist every few months. It doesn't work. It has negative efficacy. It's for a strain that doesn't exist, and the strains now are really broadly not deadly and not really you know, inducing serious illness unless you got the shots. <laughs> I mean, and yet Fauci said like, yeah, you know, even on something that was – the opposite of that, one and done, worked for a very deadly thing. Like, we have to be really careful to whom we, we market these to. Look at how times have changed. Look at how times have changed. It's truly unbelievable. And then there's another thing on smallpox. Uh, this was put out on Twitter here by a guy, Calvin, I want to give credit here, it's at HK Calvin Wong, W-O-N-G, and he found an article from May 11th, 1987, in uh, the UK Times, not the New York Times, the UK Times, WHO injected Africans with over 50 million smallpox vaccines, the smallpox vaccine caused a wave of infections with the AIDS virus. With the AIDS virus. Okay? The AIDS epidemic may have been triggered by the mass vaccination campaign, which eradicated smallpox. WHO, which masterminded the 13-year campaign, is studying new scientific evidence suggesting that immunization with the smallpox vaccine awakened the unsuspected dormant human immunodefense virus. HIV. Some experts fear that in obliterating one disease, another disease was, was transformed from a minor epidemic illness of the third world into the current pandemic. This is 1987 at the height of the AIDS business. And if you look at the timeline, you know, it was the 70s. They really, you know, did all those vaccines in, in, uh, in Africa and out popped HIV. And I'll, I'll, I'll admit, I, like everyone else, I was like, yeah, a bunch of primitive people screwed around with with animals or something and, and got HIV. But I think now that we're clued into immunology and we've learned the immune suppression 
and original antigenic sin that these vaccines are capable of inducing, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> that is something to look at, but it's amazing. This is straight up in the UK Times. Oh, Daniel, that was debunked. Really? When? When was that debunked? Where is the Republic? You can't avoid this issue. And I guarantee you, like every other issue, they'll eventually get to it when it's a day late and a dollar short. Okay? It's like, you know, I was watching Fox News here, and they talk a lot about the border and illegal immigration now. Yeah, after having spent a generation promoting the Dreamers and amnesty, so now we're at the point where we're suffering what you and I warned about last generation would happen if we didn't deal with it. So now it's insane. So yeah, now they're covering it, but they're covering it as a sensational story rather than it's time for states to deport them, right? Because you didn't do what we said, now you need the stronger medicine. And it's going to be the same thing with this. We always have to wait until it's too late. But that's, that's the thing. Fox themselves, they had this mandate... Truly, truly disgusting. So that's about it, folks. We discussed the gun issue, the massacre, the primary elections, the clot shots, and it all paints one picture, that the Republican Party and the conservative movement has only held on to one or two issues that they only, in my view, adhere to so that they could hoodwink us into continuing to vote for them but on no other issue do they draw a line in, in the sand. And even that issue, it's not like we're solving the school shooting issue because we don't have the national divorce. And that's really what we need. These problems are ultimately too big for any man-made solution. That's the reality. Um, just keep in mind, with everything that has happened, not a single incumbent, governor, senator, or congressman, has been knocked off on the Republican side. The Democrat side, we did have a few uh, because they actually have a movement. And, and even most of the open seats, we are losing except for at the local level. So we keep fighting back at the local level. I do think we need to really start exploring running the appropriate candidates as independents in a general election in certain areas. It's something I do want to develop. And finally, I just want to say, as I'm closing here, I'm looking at you know the whole Ukraine issue. And Zelensky is saying he will never surrender an inch of land, and he's going to keep fighting until even the eastern parts are taken back. And as you well know, that's never going to happen. He doesn't have the ability to do that. The Russians are never going to be defeated that way unless he would assemble an allied coalition to do that, uh, which obviously nobody, including the Europeans, wants to do. So... What we are doing is funding and fueling the murder of civilians on all sides and the supply chain shortages, and, and that in itself is going to cost lives throughout the, the, the globe. And once again, just like with the clot shots, just like with everything, they'll wake up. Republicans will finally wake up when it's too late. Again, why is Ukraine not an automatic litmus test at this point? I mean, any Republican not full-throatedly opposing that. It's interesting. Why is it only guns? How do we create that same red line on other issues? And I've been struggling with that. I've really been struggling with that. Who knows where this is going to go? 
Um, but it's interesting. You know, I was watching uh, last night Leahy and Menendez, maybe a couple other Democrats were at Davos for the World Economic Forum uh, uh, Globalist Genocide get-together. And they were crowing about this. Even the European fool who was moderating this panel there, I don't have the video here, but she she was like, wow, you know, how do you get all this bipartisan support? And they were saying, man, you know, when it came to Ukraine, we all got together and everyone was like, how do we do this? This is the most important thing. And and they were right. They weren't lying. Everyone there except for Rand Paul and maybe one or two others were like that. It's, it's an amazing contrast from the gun issue to everything else. But we are not changing it. We are not fixing it in a conventional way. Anyone who tells you you will fix this country with another general election Republican Party win, they are lying to you. Absent doing anything new, it will go down, down, down to the ground. And again, that's a comforting thought because we need to stop lying to ourselves. And as you well know, I'm here to tell you the truth, even if it's painful. Well, anyway, folks, I will be out Thursday flying back. I'll be back here Friday. Uh, I, I do apologize. I'm a little bit behind on some of your emails. It's just a little bit tough because we're at the range most of the time. But I do hope to see you guys out at a later date. One thing we can do, if we can't change public policy, we can change ourselves. Remember that. And we can make sure we get the proper training in carrying, drawing a weapon, winning a gunfight. If God forbid we're going to need it with all the psychopaths running around. So till Friday, God bless y'all. And thank you for listening. <laughs>